0: Gateway family. It is great to see you this morning as we gather together to worship the Lord together. For those of you here in the sanctuary, for those in the gym, and those at home, we are so thankful for the privilege and the joy we have of worshiping the Lord corporately together as a body of Christ this morning. As we begin this morning, I want to let you know about several things happening in the life of the church. The first is an outreach opportunity for us. This is Operation Christmas Child shoeboxes. We've done this in the past, and we're excited to bring this back and before Audrey Gillis comes up to tell you about it, we want you to see a short video to kind of catch the big picture vision of how we're hoping to reach the nations through something as simple as filling a shoebox with some toys. So let's show you the video of what's coming up. Three,
1: two,
0: In the count of three, when children open the shoeboxes, they're so excited. Those faces just
1: transform. because they have just received their responses.
2: The mouth is wide open, the voice is raised, the smiles are all over, that all brings joy.
1: We're right now in Manapun and Cambodia. I mean, this just been incredible. The kids are so excited, giving them a gift, do it in Jesus' name, and that's what this is all about.
3: It's a gospel opportunity. It's the chance for the children to
2: change the entire life. That's what I love about Operation Christmas Child. It knows no borders, knows no boundaries. It's all about sharing the name of Jesus Christ.
3: Churches are doing big things with Operation Christmas Child. Everybody out there who packs shoeboxes, they are spreading God's love. It's families, it's churches, it's hundreds of thousands of volunteers that help make Operation Christmas Child so successful. We couldn't do it without
0: them. With this box, they do get the
4: gospel story. They do hear about Jesus. It has maximum impact in the worldwide kingdom of Christ. I mean, what better thing could you do than be involved in field
2: shoebox By train, some go by camels, some go by uh, ships. These boxes go all
3: over the world, and that is only the beginning.
0: After receiving the shoe boxes,
1: the children will be invited to go to the greatest journey, which is a 12th lesson discipleship program where they learn about the greatest gift, which is
3: Jesus Christ. After a child completes the greatest journey, they graduate and receive a Bible in their own language.
1: I am I
3: when the light of the gospel is turned on, that changes everything.
0: Churches are being blessed. Lives are being changed. Communities
4: are being transformed. The word of God is spreading. The gospel is.
3: It is impacting children, it is impacting families, it is impacting the world greatly. Thank you for praying, thank you for giving. I would like to ask you to consider packing shoeboxes year-round. God will bless and God will use your gift to touch the life of a child and to be able to do it in Jesus' name. So thank you, thank you for being a part of it. God bless each and every one of you. test. Okay. Uh, My name is Audrey Gillis, and I'm grateful to be standing before you this morning to talk about Operation Christmas Child. It's been a ministry that's been very important to my family, and for those of you who know, our children are grown now, but um, that's something that we did with them every year. And it wasn't until I actually went to the distribution center in um, Atlanta that really opened my eyes to things that I never really thought about. I just thought about, oh, let's just put toys in a box. i send my girls to the Dollar Tree, fill it up and then we would send it off. This is the box, just so you know. And we do have some in the back if you would like to pick some up. But Steve, would you raise your hand? They're back there behind him and Sonny. There's some boxes back there already um, put together if you'd be interested in them. But one of the reasons that, and one of the things that I miss with packing a shoebox is the whole evangelism, discipleship, and multiplication. And as you just saw, the little girl said, she received the material, which I have, I wanted to show you, I actually I didn't even know this existed until a couple of years ago. But these are the books that the children actually receive and they actually go through that's going to point them to Jesus Christ. And that's the ultimate goal of this box. Yeah, the toys are fun for the kids. But the goal is this. We want to get the word of God in them and to them. And as you saw in this video, the little girl, she read it with her grandparents, and then her granddaddy and her grandmother, they all came to know the Lord because of this box so I just want to encourage you with that I also just want to give you a couple of um, statistics and this is actually the bible every child is given a bible when they complete the course so one of the things I was just doing some more research because I'm just so encouraged by it when I see how the multiplication process works you share with somebody and then you share with somebody and it just eventually starts exploding here's an example One such group was in the Himba of Nambia. They distributed 130 boxes. This is an unreached area that has never heard the gospel. Of the 130, 50 people actually went through, 50 children actually went through the 12-week story. They completed it. After they completed it, now there are over 80 people in that village that are Christians because of a single shoebox. So I don't want you to think about it as, oh, it's just one more thing I have to do. That's one reason why we decided to go ahead and start it now. Because when you're out at Walmart and you see crayons on sale, guess what? Pick up an extra box of crayons and stick it in the box. Notebook paper, stick it in the box. So that's one of the things that I personally try to do is when I see things on sale, whether it's little stuffed animals, whatever, even at um, the Dollar Tree, at Party City, I'll just put things away, and when it comes time to pack my box, then I've got my material, all I have to do is put it in my box. Brady and I talked. We're going to try to do something a little different this year or two. We're going to start allowing you to bring boxes packed on the first Sunday of November, November the 1st, and we're going to run it through the 15th. That way, if you forget, you can bring it the next Sunday. But we want to give you more opportunities to bring them. If you have any questions, please feel free to ask me because this is really something that I totally, with all my heart, believe will change the world and will just take part in it. So if you have questions... Please feel free to ask me. Thanks.
0: Well, thank you, Audrey, for that. Here. Well, thank you for that and for your oversight. I'm excited that Steve and Audrey are going to be overseeing this for us this year. Hope you'll see more information on that. You'll see on our blog gatewaybaptist.com/blog/shoebox. You can get more information, see the deadlines, learn how you can be involved in impacting the wildlife hacking. Shoebox. One other announcement for us this morning, friends, is that we have a new ladies' Bible study starting for the ladies at Gateway starting in September, September 7th and 9th. Trish Butterfield is going to oversee this. It's going to be a study of Jonas, a Priscilla Shire study, and it looks like an amazing study, an amazing opportunity. For those who feel comfortable being back on campus, we will actually have that beginning on Wednesday night, September 9th, here in the gym building. Child care is not available yet. We're still phasing back into our full schedule over the next few months, but for the ladies who feel comfortable being in person, Wednesday nights here on campus. And then for those who are not comfortable yet being in person, you can, she's doing a Zoom class of it as well on Monday evening. So those two opportunities for you. I hope, ladies, you'll mark your calendar and plan to be part of this great opportunity to grow in God's Word, to grow and pray together, and to build community with one another. Let's prepare our hearts to sing to the Lord and ask you to stand, please. I want to read the scripture to us this morning as we prepare our hearts for gathering together to worship the Lord this morning. Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Friends, we get to celebrate this morning that all of our debts, not just some, but all of our debts have been nailed to the cross, and we bear them no more. Let's rejoice in the grace we have in Christ.
4: sing the next song.
2: Many of us know this. Romans
4: chapter 5. Starting in verse 8. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God.
2: necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him, and though you do not see him now, you believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Oh, Father, we just gather together in the name of Jesus Christ today. Lord, to worship you, to exalt you. Lord, to look to you and declare your greatness, to declare your otherness, to bow down in repentance, to bow down in worship. Lord, to declare that we need you, and Lord, to declare in you and you alone as we sing, you alone are our hope. And Lord, we just want to, even today, bring to you some of our needs. Lord, I see Jay this morning as he's, he's at home, and Lord, just struggling with his, his heart, Lord, and some of the medication, and uh, Lord, is just uh, sick this morning. We just pray your healing hand over him. Lord, we thank you that you are, even today, Jehovah Ropi, the Lord, our healer. Lord, and we look to you in all things, and you tell us to come, and we ask, Lord, that you would heal CJ's body, that you would heal his heart. Lord, I pray you'd bring him back to health quickly. Lord, we love this dear brother, and just lift him up before you this morning. Lord, we pray for Larry Forston, Lord, one of our brothers who, Lord, has just been diagnosed with cancer. and Lord, just want to ask for your great, great comfort to him and his family, for your great, great mercy uh, on him, Lord. And I pray that as he looks to you, Lord, he would experience, Lord, your joy and your peace, which wouldn't make sense to anybody else. But Lord, he would experience you as he walks through this. Lord, we pray even for the some of the senior citizens in our body here, Lord, who have not been able to gather, Lord, who just feel isolated and as this COVID season continues to extend, Lord, would you just grant them your presence in, in ways, Lord, that maybe they've not experienced before. Lord, I pray that as they spend a great amount of times in your word, Lord, that they would experience you, Lord, that they would know you. And I pray, Lord, that we'd be faithful as a body, Lord, even with those not gathering, Lord, just to reach out, Lord, and to share the love of Christ. Lord, we pray too for one of our fellow churches in town, First Baptist Church, and their new pastor, Mark Bethay and his wife, Brittany, and their three children, Lord, they are uh, taking a big church in town, Lord, and we know that you love your church. Lord, you've established a local church to be how you display your greatness and your glory, and I pray that, Lord, you'd give this pastor, Lord, a new uh, good transition into the church, Lord, I pray that his heart would be one, Lord, to point others to you. Lord, to live for your glory, for the good of those in his body. Lord, we do continue to pray for our leadership from our president, Lord, and our Congress, and all the way on down to our state, our governor, Lord, our mayor. Lord, we just pray for great wisdom among our leadership, Lord, as we go through these times that they're not unprecedented times by any means. Lord, but they are challenges and they are difficult. And I pray for great, great wisdom as they lead. Father, we do pray for the unraged people uh, in Nepal, the the Walang people. Um, Lord, just with no Christian resources in their dialect, we just pray that you would raise up missionaries who could go to them, raise up missionaries, Lord, who could take the gospel to them in their dialect, Lord. So that, Lord, we know that you will fulfill your promise, that as we gather one day at the great throne, Lord, there will be people from every nation and tribe and tongue. And, Lord, we know that you're a faithful God. Lord, we do pray for our church leadership, our elders, Lord, as they continue to meet, Lord. uh, Lord, to build unity in your body. We pray for great wisdom. Lord, we pray for great humility. Lord, we just look to you. Lord, we look to you, Jesus. uh, And we just thank you that you are at work, Lord, and we know that. So, Lord, we we don't look with doubt. Lord, we just pray to you and just pray for your great, great wisdom. Lord, we also pray for, Lord, the offering that people will give online or or here today. Lord, we just thank you for your provision for our church over the years. Lord, your faithfulness through your people. And Lord, for Grady as he comes, thank you for Grady as our shepherd. Thank you for Grady and his teaching heart, Lord. And, And as he continues to bring the word of God, Lord, I just pray that he'd be anointed with your Holy Spirit. Lord, that you would take his preparation and, Lord, the, the things he's put together for us, Lord, and you would not only anoint him, but you would anoint our hearts, Lord, our ears and our heart, Lord, that we might be able to receive what you have for us today. Lord, again, we worship you and we praise you and we pray all this in the name of Jesus.
0: Well, good morning again, Gateway family. So good to see you this morning. I want you to find James chapter 4 in your copy of God's Word, James chapter 4, as we continue our journey through James' letter. Now, as you're finding, I want to ask you this morning have you ever really, really, really wanted something but could not bring yourself to pray about it because you knew that what you wanted was outside the will of God? Because you knew that what you wanted was contrary to God's will and even perhaps sinful? be some materialistic thing that you knew wasn't god's best for you could have been a relationship you knew was outside the will of god it could be something you knew that was selfishly that you knew would hurt others if you got it and so you really really wanted it but you could not bring yourself to pray about it likewise though have you ever really 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 wanted something you knew was outside of god's will but you prayed for it anyway and you asked god for that thing that you knew was not what he would have for you but well, we've all done those things at different times throughout our faith journey. And James knows that. That's not new to us. That's something that people back then, when he wrote this, these early believers struggled with. And so he's going to address to us this idea of praying for things that we know are wrong or not praying for things that we want because we know they are wrong. Now, as he addresses the issue of prayer this morning, I want you to see how this is part of the bigger context of what James is doing. James is in a bigger section here where he's dealing with contrasting wisdom from above with earthly thinking. He's contrasting for us the difference if we walk in God's ways versus if we walk in the ways of the world. And he began at the end of chapter 3 by showing us that when we walk in God's ways, when we walk in wisdom, it produces in us a gentleness, a meekness that is very countercultural, and great good will come out of that, that we will have peace and it will lead us to want to make peace. With others, Then he gave us the contrast and showed us that if we walk in the world's ways and the world's thinking, if we do not walk in humility and wisdom from God, it'll lead to jealousy and selfish ambition in our hearts and it'll hurt us as we boast about things and it'll hurt others as we become divisive and it'll lead to all sorts of sins. As we then begin with chapter 4, he's continuing that idea, and he's expounding on that idea of what we saw last week, that behind this divisiveness, when we fall to the world's ways instead of walking in God's wisdom, at the core of that are these passions within us, these desires within us that wage war against them. And he's reminding us that when we give in to those passions, those sinful desires in our hearts, it can lead to all sorts of problems in our life, like quarreling, fighting, and even murder. And friends, in all we've been seeing, let me remind us that James is addressing the church He's addressing believers. So these are real dangers for believers then and believers today. These are real dangers for you and for me. And so over these last eight verses that have span the end of chapter 3 and the beginning of chapter 4, Jesus has been showing us the harm that comes to our relationships with one another when we fail to walk in God's wisdom. Now this morning as we continue in chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, he's going to shift the focus just very slightly. He's going to show us the harm that comes to our relationship with God. When we continue to walk in the world's ways. When we do not walk in God's wisdom, he's going to show us what happens to our relationship with the Lord. in a sense, what we've seen these last several Sundays have been the the horizontal relationship. When we're not walking in God's wisdom, when our sinful passions are waging war and we're falling to them, he's showing us the impact it has relationally with one another. Now today he turns it to vertical. If we continue to let those sinful passions wage war against us and we don't fight them, what's going to happen in how we relate to God? So we look at our two verses this morning, just simply be looking for how do our selfish ambitions hurt our relationship with the Lord? How do our selfish ambitions hurt our relationship with the Lord? Particularly, how do they hurt how we pray? So we come to James chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. I can ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the Word of God. The words will be on the screen for you. I'm reading out the English Standard Version. James chapter 4, verse 2. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how clear your word is. and showing us, Lord, your path for us and how you desire us to live in relationship with you and in relationship with one another. So God, would you take your word this morning and do what only you can do. Would you fill us with your holy spirit to open our eyes to the truth of the word, to encourage us where we need encouragement, to give us conviction where we need conviction, and we ask it all in Jesus name. Amen. Thank you and you may be seated. So how do our selfish ambitions harm our relationship with God? This is what I want you to see very simply this morning. Is our selfish desires ruin our prayers? Our selfish desires ruin our prayers. When our selfish desires, our sinful desires in our hearts go unchecked, we don't repent to those selfish desires. We let them gain a greater foothold in our life. It not only wrecks how we relate to one another, it ruins how we talk to God. It ruins how we relate to God in prayer. And those ideas, short and simple, friends, it's a reminder I need and a reminder we all need. Because we can so easily forget the harm that comes, not just to one another, but to how we relate to the Lord. When we allow our selfish ambitions, our selfish desires to run unchecked in our lives. selfish desires ruin our prayers. Let's unpack that this morning. First of all, realize that he's talking about prayer here. In these two verses, picking up with the end of verse 2 where we left off last week, verse 3, this is a section where he's turned to thinking about prayer. And he uses prayer in terms of the word asking here. Look back at the end of verse 2 and the beginning of verse 3. He says, you do not have because you do not ask. And then in verse 3, you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Three times here he uses the word ask. Now, the Greek word for ask is a word that can mean just us asking each other for things. It's used that way in the Bible. But ask is also used in the Bible to refer specifically to praying and talking to God and asking God for things. That's the way Jesus typically uses this word. And that seems to be the way that James is picking up on here. same way Jesus used it in Matthew chapter 21, verse 22. And Jesus says, and whatever you ask in prayers the same Greek word for ask, you will receive if you have faith. And so when James is talking about asking today, he's simply talking about talking to God ...about our request. Bringing our request in prayer to God. Now just a quick reminder, friends. Asking is only one type of prayer. There's other types of prayer as well. You we have praises, which are prayer. When we have done what we've just done this morning and singing to the Lord, we're praising God. We're praying to God. We're telling God how great and awesome He is. We're exclaiming the greatness of attributes. That is a type of prayer. Thanksgiving is a type of prayer. When we go to God and say, God, thanks for all You've done for my life, for my health, for these blessings, for Your Word. And we go on and on. That's praying to God when we're thanking Him... For what He's provided for us, confession is a type of prayer. When we go to God and say, "God, I've sinned against You. I've sinned against this other person. Forgive me." That is a type of prayer, and asking is a type of prayer as well. It gets called different things depending on what tradition you come out of. Sometimes it's called petitions, where your prayers are petitions, where you go to God asking God for things. Some people call it your intercession, where you're going to God asking God to do things in your life and the lives of others. Some people call it prayers of supplication. And so whether you call it supplication or intercession or petitions or asking, it's the idea of talking to God about our request. Can I just remind us, friends, that God invites us to do this? And this is absolutely incredible. That The sovereign God who needs nothing, the sovereign God who is all-powerful, invites us, his children, to come talk to him about what we need. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 tells us that. We've seen this many times. He says, do not be anxious about anything but in – what's this next one here? Everything. Yeah, everything by prayer that we can pray to God about everything that we think about, concern about, need, want. We can talk to God about all this. It has been everything by prayer and supplication. That's another form of that idea of asking with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God, friends. The Holy God of the universe, who's redeemed us, invites us to come talk to Him about everything. And He doesn't want us to be timid to do so. Hebrews chapter four, verse sixteen reminds us that. Let us then with what's this next word? With confidence. with confidence, not with timidity. Not with I don't know if I should go to God. With confidence, we should draw near to the throne of grace. That we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. God invites us to ask him for what we need. God invites us to come with confidence. Not because we can stand before him our own. We can't. We go with confidence when the blood of Christ has covered us. And when God sees us, he doesn't see me in all my sin and wretchedness; He sees Christ. Therefore, I can go in confidence and bring my request before him. We've seen this before. I want to remind us this invitation for God to ask is not a one-time thing. We don't ask once and we're done. All throughout the scriptures, this word asking is most of the time used in the present tense, meaning to ask and to keep on asking. It's not a one-time deal. Hey, I prayed about that ten years ago. I should be done. No. This idea of going to God day by day, asking and asking. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, it's a classic text on prayer you've seen, but these terms are in the present tense. That means it literally should be translated, ask and keep on asking, and it will be given to you. Seek and keep on seeking, and you will find. Knock and keep on knocking. And it will be opened to you. That's the very same way that James used it back in James chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. He uses that present tense for ask. You can literally translate it. You do not have because you do not ask and keep on asking. You ask and keep on asking, verse 3, but you do not receive because you ask and keep on asking wrongly to spend it on your passions. Friends, we have an amazing invitation in Scripture not just to approach God one time. But today, by day, by day, and moment by moment by moment, ask and keep on asking and keep on asking for the things that we need God to do in us and through us. And what's so amazing, friends, is God does not grow weary in our asking. God is not like, oh, here he comes again. Let's get a load of this one. God's never rolling his eyes when we come back to him asking for these things over and over. He invites us to do so. Yet, friends... Something goes terribly wrong in how we often respond to that invitation. We have this amazing invitation from our Creator to ask and keep on asking, to talk to Him day by day and moment by moment, asking for whatever we need to get. Something goes terribly wrong in how we often respond to His invitation. And two different dangers that we're so prone to do as His followers is either, number one, to neglect that invitation— because of selfish desires in our heart. He's given us this amazing invitation to either we neglect it because of the selfishness in our heart, or number two, we abuse the invitation also because the selfishness in our heart. And we have this incredible invitation from the great I am, from the sovereign creator who has redeemed us and loved us, says, Come to me day by day, moment, moment ask and keep on asking. And we wreck it so often because our selfish ambitions either don't go talk to him about it, or our selfish ambitions lead us to abuse the invitation that we have. Both of those problems come from our selfish desires, the very thing James has been warning about. Now, what do I mean by selfish desires? Well, it's what we saw last week, but I want to remind us for kindness. Go back to verse 2 again. It explains what the root problem is that wrecks our prayer life, that ruins how we use this invitation from the Lord to pray and to keep on praying. It says in verse 2, notice this word, you desire and do not have. So you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. The two words here to describe our selfish desires are desire and covet. Now, I explained it last week. Let me remind us, desire is that strong and unhealthy craving to get something you don't have. It's a strong and unhealthy craving to get something you do not have. And to covet is to be zealous for something that you do not have. So it's a strong and unhealthy craving. It's a zealousness for things that we don't have. So put that together. Selfish desire is this consuming desire something that we don't have right now. It's a consuming desire for what we do not have. And James sums it back up in verse 1. Go back up there. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Our passions, the Greek word hedone, your hedonism, your desire for self, your desire for pleasure, your desire for self-indulgence, your feverish search to satisfy your desires, leads to you desiring, leads to you covenant. And that's the very thing he's still warning us about here at verse 3. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly and to spend it on your passions, to spend it on your hedonism. He said you're asking wrongly because it's about your hedonistic desires in your heart. Friends, he's I just to remind us we all face a very real battle with a hedonism in our own heart. Every single one of us has a daily battle against the hedonism, that selfish desire, the sinful desire in our own heart. Because even the great apostle Paul who had such an amazing transformation, the one who was such a faithful leader of the early church and who wrote so much in the New Testament, he battled these hedonistic desires that waged war against us. Romans chapter 7, verse 22, you see this, first of all, this explanation, I delight in the law of God in my inner being. Okay, well, that's good right there. We're like, yes, that's what we would be like. But verse 23, he tells us, But I see in my members, I see within my body another law waging. What's the next word here? waging war, so we saw last week, our passions wage war against us. He so said, there's another in my members, another law waging war against the law of my mind, and they can be captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Even the guy that God used to write much in the New Testament, though he delighted in the law of God, he dealt with this battle that you and I deal with as well, where things within us, our selfish desires, wage war against us to try to lead us into sin. These sinful desires, these hedonistic longings battle Within each one of us. And when we give in to them, it wrecks our relationship with others, like we've seen in the last three weeks. It also is gonna wreck how we relate to God in prayer. Now, before we go on, I want to give a quick disclaimer here that's important, friends. Desires are not the problem. Desires in themselves are not bad. God made us as beings who have desires. God made us as beings that can feel things. Desires are God's creation is part of being made in his image. And so it's good for us to desire our community. It is good for us to desire relationships. It is good for us to have the capacity to smell and to taste and to hear and to enjoy things. These are all God's grace gifts. I mean, God even made our brains to release endorphins when you ride a roller coaster. Well, maybe for me, maybe not for you. But you know, God has made us with a capacity for pleasure. God has made us with a capacity to taste chocolate and to see a beautiful sunset and find pleasure in that. God has created us as beings with desires. So the problem is not desires. The answer is not being passionless. Desires are a grace gift from God. The problem is our desires have been hijacked by our sin, by the simple tendencies that wage war against us. And when we let sin hijack our desires, either send us to after the wrong desires or take those good desires and make them idolatrous, it starts us down that path we saw last week where even good desires can become demands. And those demands can lead me to judge other people, and those judgments can lead me to punish other people because my desires haven't been met. So the problem is not the desire. The problem is our sin that we allow to hijack those desires. And we've seen what that does to our relationships with one another, but particularly to our relationship with God. Notice when sin hijacks those good desires, it harms our relationship with God in two ways. I mentioned these earlier, but I'm going to dig deeper on these. First of all, our sinful desires can lead us to neglect prayer. Our simple desires can lead us to neglect prayer, to just refuse the invitation to go talk to God about the things we need. Go back to verse 2 here, that last phrase of it. He says, you do not have because you do not ask. Now what is James saying here? James is saying it is hard to pray selfish prayers. He's saying it is difficult to present sinful requests to God. And that's not a bad thing for us. There was one author I was reading this week who describes this type of person here in verse 2, a person who has these selfish desires that they know are wrong, but they're not willing to pray about them. He said this person is, quote, a pleasure-mad Christian who has some spiritual sensitivity. A pleasure-mad Christian who has some spiritual sensitivity. It's a person who is pleasure-mad to consume whatever they want. Whether it's that immoral relationship, or whether it's that material thing, or whether it's the harm to someone else, they're consumed with desire they know is wrong. But they know enough of the Bible to know that it's contrary to God's will, therefore they do not pray about it. The problem with this type of person, though, is they should be praying, but not for that desire. They should be praying to God, repenting of that wrong desire. Asking God to take it away. And instead, though, this person clings to the wrong desire. And instead of praying, uses their selfish means of quarreling, fighting, whatever, to try to get that that they want but they know they cannot ask God for. Friends, it's a pleasure-mad Christian who has just a little bit of spiritual sensitivity. Friends, the more we get the holiness of God, the more we get the righteousness of God, the harder it should be for us to pray things that we know are contrary to his revealed will. The more we get the character of God, the harder it should be for us to ask for good things but for the wrong reasons. so, friends, as we're praying, if we find ourselves reluctant to want to pray about particular things, we need to use that as a check and to pause and say, am I desiring something that's outside of God's will? Am I longing for something that I know is not what God would have for me? And if so, the answer is not to go, well, I'm not going to pray. I'm just going to fight to get what I want so the answer for us is to go to God in prayer, to go to the God who knows everything, who knows that desire is already there, and who knows the harm is going to come to us and others if we hold on to that desire. And the answer is to run to him and to pray. And repentance is seeking his forgiveness for harboring those wrong desires and asking grace to overcome. So our simple desires can harm our relationship with God by leading us to not pray. But there's a second danger that comes from our simple desires, and that can be our simple desires lead us to abuse prayer. Simple desires can lead us not just neglect, but can lead us to the other extreme of abusing prayer. This is what verse 3 is about. Go back to verse 3 of James 4. You ask and do not receive because you ask. What's this next word here? What's the next word? Ouch. We can pray wrongly. That's what James is saying. Don't miss this. We can pray wrongly. Now, how do we pray wrongly? That's the next phrase. We can pray to spend it on our own passions. God says our prayers are wrong if they're hedonistic prayers, if they're prayers that we're trying to do for self-indulgence without care about God's will or care about other people. And this is a real danger for us because if we buy into that idea, you hear me say it a lot, that God's goal for me is to be me from birth to death in the safest, happiest, easiest, most comfortable way and wealthiest way possible. If that becomes our worldview, we become very much in danger of pursuing wrong prayers, prayers that are just about my Desires. And because this is really dangerous and it's really evil because if we are treat because if we do this, if we pray wrong prayers for our hedonistic desires, we are treating God like He's some type of genie just to fulfill my wishes. We're treating him like he's some type of charm just to do what I want to do. We're not going to him at this place to worship him. We're not going to him to glorify him. We're coming to him because of what we're demanding of him, because what we want for our desires. There is the amazing correction to this danger, the amazing correction to this wrong way of I think this wrong way of praying, is to realize that God loves us so much, he can say no to our prayers. And he loves us so much, he can say no to our prayers. And there's a lot of teaching out there that's really dangerous today that floats around a lot of even evangelical Christianity that says God has to always do whatever you ask to do. Just ask with enough faith and just keep being persistent enough. A lot of teaching out there that God can never say no to your prayers. He's bound to do whatever you ask if you just keep on asking on this. Friends, God is sovereign. God knows best, but God loves us so much, He can and He will say no to things we ask for if it's outside of His will. Just as I love my kids so much, I don't say yes to everything they say. Everything they ask for. I love them and I delight in doing what they want. But they ask me for things that I know are detrimental to their health. But they may ask me for things I know are not in their best interest. And so because I love them, I don't say yes to everything. Because I love them, I say no to certain things they ask for because there's something so much better for their future. How much more so then does the all-seeing, all-wise, all-holy, perfect, great, Creator God who loves us so much when we ask Him for something that is wrong, when we ask Him for something outside of His will, how much more so does He say no because He loves us so much? Now, there's people who argue with me over that, and they say, no, Grady, Scripture promises that God will answer every prayer I pray. And they look to things like, let's go to Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. We looked at this one earlier, but they see these texts. Ask, and keep on asking. It'll be given to you. Seek, and keep on seeking, and you will find. Knock, and keep on knocking, and it'll be opened to you, and they would argue and say, "No, what God gives these promises. See, if I just ask, God's going to do it. If I just seek, God's going to make sure I find it." Now, this is a when we look at it, it, seems unqualified. It seems to be a blanket, unqualified promise about prayer. And God gives these promises of prayer like this to remind us that He delights in answering our prayer, and He gives these to us to drive us to trust Him and to pray. But this Matthew seven seven does not, deme- does not mean that if I just every day for the next three years ask God for a Porsche. He's got to give me a Porsche, okay? That's not what this verse is about, or what it means. We, have, as you've heard me say it many times, we have to let Scripture interpret Scripture. It's easy to take one verse and to make it say something it doesn't. So Scripture always interprets Scripture, and you have several of these what looks like unconditional promises about God will answer whatever you ask Him, and God will always answer. But God doesn't always do what we ask Him to do. You can see other scriptures that define what He means by this and what these promises entail. For example, go back one chapter in Matthew chapter six verses 9 and 10. When Jesus was asked, how do you pray? He says this. Pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Let my kingdom come, God. Let my will be done. No. It's whose kingdom? His. Whose will? It's his will. The model for prayer for us is we go to God asking keep on asking for his kingdom to come. His will be done. We go to him as a child in faith saying, God, as best I know, this is what I'm going to ask for, but God, not my will, but your will be done. Christ himself modeled that for us. He's saying the same idea in 1 John chapter 5, verse 14. And this is the confidence that we have towards him. If we ask anything, he hears us. There's a phrase right there. If we ask anything according to whose will? His will, he hears us. And in verse 15, it continues. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request... That we ask of him. Scripture is very clear that this promise of God doing whatever we ask in prayer is about his will being done, things that are consistent with his sovereign purposes. Likewise, John chapter 15, verse 7, when we studied John several years ago, Jesus says, If, don't miss the word if here, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask, it's the same Greek word for asking of God in prayer, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. But don't miss the condition. God says, I'll do whatever you ask me to do if we're abiding in Him, that we're intimate with Him and His words are abiding in us. Because as we abide in God and His words abide in us, our desires change. If we're abiding in Him and His words are abiding us, we're not going to be asking for those selfish, wrong prayers that James is warning us about. And so we have throughout Scripture, as and interpret Scripture, these what look like unqualified promises of prayer are actually very qualified by the will of God and very qualified. Qualified by abiding in Him, so God always hears, God always answers, but God always does what is best. And so, friends, what James is trying to help us see in all this is we have this amazing invitation to ask God in prayer, but we can ruin that invitation by either neglecting it because our selfish desires won't let us go there to ask what we know is wrong, or we abuse it thinking that because even though my desires are selfish, if I just ask them, if God still has to do it. It raises two questions for us before we close this morning. If we're not to pray selfish prayers, if we're not to pray wrong prayers, first of all, what should we pray instead? What should we pray if we're not to pray wrong prayers or selfish prayers? What should we pray for instead? Well, if you think about our journey through Scripture these last several years, friends, following Christ requires two things. It requires putting off our simple ways. But of course putting on the Christ-like virtue in its place. That holiness is not found as not doing the wrong thing. Holiness comes by not doing the wrong thing, but by God's grace replacing it with what Christ would have us do. So the same goes for prayer here. Following God is not found. We don't find victory by not praying wrong prayers and then not praying. Victory comes by not praying the selfish, hedonistic wrong prayers, but victory comes when we pray the type of prayers God wants us to pray. Now what would that include? Well, there's a lot. I'm going to give you just seven this morning of a good prayers to pray. If you want to kind of get your mind thinking, there's many, many others. This is not an exhaustive list, but seven things that we should be replacing these wrong prayers with. So we find our hearts wanting to pray for sinful things. We find our hearts wanting to pray for selfish things. Here's seven things we can pray for to replace those with instead. Number one, to know God more. We can pray to know God more. That's an amazing starting point. Philippians chapter 3, verse 8 that's so what Paul says. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Friends, if we want something good to pray to replace our selfish prayers with, this is it to pray to know the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, to know God more. Number two, second thing we can replace those prayers with is to find our joy and fulfillment in Him. To find our joy and fulfillment in Him. Our hearts are so quick to want to pray those selfish prayers because we're trying to find our identity. We're trying to find our fulfillment in getting that, whether it's that position, that car, that house, that influence, that reputation, whatever. And so a good thing to replace with is we pray that our joy, our identity, our fulfillment we found in Christ and in Christ alone. Psalm 34 verse 8 is a great text to think about in this. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. We should be praying that. God, today, would you help me not long for these wrong, selfish things? God, would you today let me taste and see that, God, you are good. Help me take my refuge in him. So we can pray, one, to know God more. Two, we can pray to find our joy, our fulfillment, our identity in him. Number three, a good prayer to pray. God, give me wisdom and faith. Give me wisdom and faith. Friends, wisdom is a gift from God he gives us. Faith is a gift from God he gives us. Neither of these things are things we manufacture. James chapter 1, we saw this. We began our journey a few months ago in James' letter. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him – what's the next word? Ask God. Same word here. Let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproaching. It will be given him. Verse 6. Now let him ask in faith with no doubting. So a good prayer for us to replace in our our selfish prayers is, God, give me wisdom. God, give me faith to believe and faith to trust. So pray to know God more. Pray to find our joy, fulfillment, identity in Him. Pray for wisdom and faith. Number four, if we also need to pray to get our mind off of ourselves, pray for other believers to grow in knowing Him. Pray for other believers, other Christian friends to grow in knowing God. Colossians chapter 1 verses 9 and 10. We have an amazing example of this type of prayer that Paul prayed for the people in Colossae. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. What did he pray for? Not for hedonistic things, not for worldly pleasures. He prayed that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and an understanding. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Friends, if you want a good prayer to pray for your spouse, your kids, your grandkids, your friends, the people, your small group, Colossians 1 is a great text. Just stick their name in there and pray this for other believers you know. So we can pray to know God more. We can pray to find our joy, fulfillment, identity in Him. We can pray for wisdom and faith. We can pray for other believers to grow in knowing Him. Number five, very closely related, we can pray for the church to be built up. We can pray for the church to be built up. There's many places we go to this, but we saw this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 22. We did our study of Ephesians. In Him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God the Spirit. That's a great thing for you to to pray for Gateway, for the other believers in your life group, for us as a corporate group of believers together. So pray that God will build us together and build His church. Number six, pray for the gospel to go around the world. Pray for the gospel to go around the world. That's why we pray for unreached people groups in the service. That's why we're doing Operation Christmas Child, the Audrey, which is we want God's fame and God's glory to fill all the earth. And the places in the world where no one is worshiping God, we want people to worship God because he's so worthy. Matthew chapter 28, what we call the Great Commission, says this. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me." Verse 19, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, as like Jesus said, verse 20. And teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Friends, we should be praying not just once a week in our gathering here. We should be praying with our families and in our personal devotions for the nations to come to know God. So what do we replace our selfish, hedonistic prayers with? With knowing God, prayers to find our joy in Him. Prayers of wisdom and faith, prayers for fellow Christians to grow, prayers for the church to be built up, prayers for the gospel to go forth. And I'm going to give you one more. We pray for anything else that comes from a heart that wants God's glory. We pray for anything else that flows from a heart that wants God's glory. And so, yes, friends, we can pray for material things. If our heart is the glory of God and we see that what we're asking for is something that we can steward for his purposes. Yes, we can pray for healing of friends who are sick so they can serve God and serve us. We can pray for our own healing so we can serve God and serve others. We can pray for relationships, for God to heal what's been broken, for our kids and grandkids to know Christ, for people's needs to be met. We can pray for anything else that flows out of a heart that wants God's glory above all else. First Corinthians chapter 10 verse 31 is a great text to think of on this type of prayer. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, you do all for the glory of God. And so friends when we are abiding in Him and His words are abiding in us, He's transforming our hearts to where we want His glory above all else and whatever flows out of that we can ask and keep on asking. And friends if you want to grow in these type of prayers there's two great books in the Resource Center I want to recommend to you. I know I'm always recommending books but I got two more for you. One is called Valley of Vision. You hear CJ read from these a good bit when we have corporate prayer times. These are collection of Puritan prayers that just go really deep. If you're going, I'm not sure how to better confess things, I'm not sure how to pray praise at Thanksgiving. they got that book grouped into sections. Here's Puritan prayers of Thanksgiving, and Puritan prayers of confession and Puritan prayers related to the gospel. And you can just see how some of the amazing saints who've abided in the Lord before have prayed about these things. There's also a great book out there called Praying the Attributes of God. If you want to see how. Think about God's justice can lead you to particular prayers. Think about how God's mercy can lead you to particular prayers. Think about how God's holiness leads you to particular prayers. They're taking each attribute of God, defining it with tons of scripture, and they giving you sample prayers to pray that flow from understanding the character of God. So, what do we pray instead of selfish, hedonistic prayers? Any of those things I just mentioned. But there's one more question, and that's this question: Is there really hope that we can be like this? Is there really hope that our hedonistic selfish prayers can be put off, and these God-glorifying prayers can be put on. Is it really possible for our prayers to be less about my kingdom and more about God's kingdom, and less about my glory and more about God's glory? My friends, there is. Take us back to Romans chapter 7, verse 23. We looked at this one just a minute ago, where Paul said, I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind, and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. So that can sound kind of hopeless at first, that what am I going to do on this? And then Paul asks the question that flows from that as he thinks about this war, these simple passions, this hedonism, this fighting us. And he says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? What is the hope? And he gives the answer in verse 25. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So wretched man that I am when I pray simple prayers. And we're all wretched when we pray simple prayers. or we're all wretched when we don't pray prayers because we don't want to even ask God for what we know is wrong. Who's going to deliver us from this? Where is the hope that we can change? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Friends, there is hope that Christ knows our struggle with our selfish desires. Christ knows our struggle to even pray correctly. But Christ wants to free us from that. Christ wants to put off from us, those selfish desires that ruin our prayers. He wants to put on in us a heart that loves the glory of God above all else, so that we pray prayers that honor God and that build up His kingdom. And the great news is He will change us. He will desire to do that. So we'll see in the weeks to come that He gives more grace. He yearns jealously over us as children, so He will give more grace to transform us in these things. So, friends, I want to ask you this morning. How is your relationship with God today, and what does your prayer show about it? It'd be hard to think, well, how, how is my relationship with God? But what do your prayers, what do my prayers this week show about how we view God and our relationship with Him? Do you know God in a real, personal way, where you hear His voice, where you feel free to talk to Him, where you want to be with Him? Friends, if not, that is the starting point, to be reconciled to God through what Christ has done But if you do know God, friends, what have your prayers this week shown about the depth of that relationship with Christ? Do you have a real, dynamic, deep, ongoing relationship with God where you're abiding in Him and His words are abiding in you? And you find your prayers being aligned more and more to His purposes? Or do you find God being distant when you try to talk to Him and your prayers are all about temporal things, just about us? Friends, finally, last question. Have we allowed selfish desires to hijack our prayer life? Have we allowed selfish desires to hijack our prayer life? Have we either been hesitant to pray about the things that we're thinking, forgetting that God already knows, or have we been abusing that invitation that God has given to us and praying for the wrong things? And friends, if our selfish desires have been hijacking our prayer life, the good news is if we're a child of God, he gives more grace. And he, we can cry out to him for grace this week, ask him for his presence with us, and watch him change our desires so more and more our will aligns. With his. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that we can talk to you in prayer. What an amazing truth that is. That we can ask and keep on asking. And God, you don't shun us, you don't push us away. You invite us to come boldly because of what Christ has done for us. And God, I pray this week in my heart, in the heart of these precious brothers and sisters, that God, we would treasure this invitation we have from you. That we would rejoice that we can approach your throne of grace with confidence, not shaking in fear that we're going to be struck down, but knowing that we come clothed in the righteousness of Christ. God, would you give us much grace this week to realize what you're inviting us to do? And God, would you give us much grace this week to put to death by the Holy Spirit dwelling in us these selfish, hedonistic desires that wreck our relationships and wreck our prayer life? And God, would you, as we, this week, just, as you fill us with your Holy Spirit, turn our hearts to where we want your glory more than anything else? God, would you be turning our hearts to where we want to be thinking kingdom and not just self. we be thinking about others, not just my needs. God, would you be shaping our prayers this week to where you grow us in our prayers this week, to prayers that are much more what you desire for us. God, would you forgive us, Lord, for those times that we've completely neglected, this amazing invitation we have to ask and to keep on asking. We've chosen to pursue our own fighting and quarreling, and our own ways to try to get what we want. Would you forgive us for that, Lord? God, would you also forgive us for the times we've taken this amazing invitation to ask and keep on asking. We've come to you demanding, instead of humbling as your children talking to you. And God, this week, would you grow in us this gentleness, this humility that wants to come to you and say, like Christ said, not my will, but yours be done, Lord. God, I'm thankful that we can bring whatever burdens, concerns, requests we have. We can lay before you even our thoughts of what we think should happen. But God, would you help us trust you? do what is right. May this week in my life and life of these precious brothers and sisters, may we see your hand moving and working in situations that will just strengthen our faith and we'll be blown away this week watching you answer prayer, watching you move. Would you strengthen our faith this week, Lord, that we might be anchored deeper in you because we see you doing what only you can do so that you get all the glory, Lord, and we find the joy of watching you work on our behalf. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing our closing psalm this morning? Thank you.
4: resurrection, God. We can have new life found only in you. God, be with us this week. Help us to reflect on this time, God, and teach us how to pray. Teach us to pray for the things that you desire God, for wisdom. Wisdom that only comes from you, Things that are only found in your will help us to flee from our own selfish desires, God, and to quit using you just as achieving the things that we want. And be this now as we be, Father. So in your name we pray. Amen.